0: Welcome to Dig It, This is Edge with my co-host Corey Len of Corey's Digs. Hey there, Corey. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. It's been a a good week. How about you? Yeah,
1: it's going good. I've been hanging out in nature and communing with chipmunks. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> That's my. That's my escape from reality.
0: Yeah, I always go in my garden and I feed my chickens. I'm like, we joke, like, oh, I'm a little farmer now. (laughs) Uh, It's good times. I need a video. I still haven't gotten a video of the little chicks. I know. I need to send you one. All right. Or maybe I'll just post it on, you know, one of our uh, podcasts so everybody can see. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got a lot to get into today. We're going to talk about, well, you have a few things that you want to point out. One of them being uh, the WHO and the EU agreement on COVID passports, but also some other pilot programs, building a digital prison, uh, all along that kind of theme. I'm going to talk about um, some articles I've written for uh, Corey's digs, such as state legislation on financial freedom and also uh, RNA and DNA vaccines and livestock and a lot of confusion going on with that. So,
1: Yeah, that's an important one.
0: Yes. Yeah. All right. So we got a lot to get into. Why don't we just jump right into it? What's first up? Yeah.
1: yeah. So first I want to talk about just real quick. I just want to mention this about BlackRock. But before I do, I want to mention, because I don't think I had a chance in last week's podcast, we had a, uh, an awesome solution series episode on May 30th, for anyone who's missed it, uh, on Mastering Field and Radio Tactics with Matt NC C. Scout. And next week, um, on the 13th, which actually on Friday today, we have the preview of it. And Tuesday, the 13th, we have an episode coming out with Patrick Wood on becoming a local activist. So that's another great one. Nice. I just wanted to mention those. So, yeah, I just wanted to point this out about BlackRock because the irony is just off the hook. So (laughs) BlackRock is paying a hefty sum for security For CEO Larry Fink, the ESG pusher of change your behavior, and uh, over $376,000 in 2022 alone for upgrading home security systems and guards. So now they're also providing high security for the president, Rob Capito. And between the two of them, they have an annual allowance of $295,000 for private jets. For a private jet. That's like more than most people make in four or five years.
0: Oh, those carbon emitters. I know. (laughs) Right? We're trying to joke. Yeah. And they're forcing behaviors on us. I know that you've probably caught that video. I don't think it's recent, but it's resurfaced.
1: it's, It's an older one. Yeah. And it just keeps resurfacing. It's great. But the thing is, is so there, this is all allegedly due to a combination of threats from those who are against ESG The climate activists who are against fossil fuels, which which we know a lot of that is all staged to push this. So they have a reason, and excuse to do this. And then we've got the anti-pension reform protesters um, that are all putting pressure on BlackRock. So the good news about it is the pressure's on. The uh, irony is they're spending, you know, nearly $300,000 a year on private jets for, their CEO and president um, for the environmental pushers of ESG—that's mm-hmm. pretty funny.
0: Rules for the Corey, not for that's
1: me. Right. That's right, <laughs> right. Oh my yeah. goodness! So, speaking of finances, you did two brilliant reports. Um, dive into those because that's—I like when I like when we get out the good information and show people what what good things are moving forward. And so other uh, people can, you know, talk with their representatives and tell them, hey, this is what's going on here. We need to make this happen over in our state.
0: Yeah. Focusing on solutions rather than just complaining about the problems. Um, Yeah, we're well aware that we're being inundated with problems these days. But So, and really, I started looking into state legislation to fight CBDCs and establish an alternative economy because I just saw how dysfunctional Washington is, and I knew that there was really no way to accomplish anything meaningful on the federal level. So I wanted to know about the different approaches that individual states were taking uh, to shield their citizens from, you know, crushing inflation, collapsing banks, the imposition of CBDCs, Um, So the first article I wrote on this topic looked at really every state and uh, in the country and the proposed legislation coming out of those states, um, whether it was gold and silver or as legal tender, setting up precious metal depositories blocking central bank digital currencies. I look at the the legislation in each state on all of these topics. And one thing I did go into some depth about before um, outlining each state legislation was um, this attempt to create a backdoor for central bank digital currencies through the uniform commercial code and this has been going on for months now so the universal sorry the uniform commercial code is a set of standards and uh, this is put together by the uniform law commission a bunch of lawyers basically Uh, designed to create uniformity between states and facilitate interstate commerce. And previously, UCC laws have not been controversial uh, and passing similar legislation in each state to create uniformity has been sort of a routine thing. But this time around, the Uniform Law Commission pushed for language that used this legalese language to block crypto And open the door for central bank digital currencies. So. Under the language that they proposed for all of these states to adopt, under the definition of money, it money is amended to state that, quote, the term does not include an electronic record that is a medium of exchange recorded and transferable in a system that existed and operated for the medium of exchange before the medium of exchange was authorized or adopted <laughs> by the government—that is—that was a
1: test to see how many prepositional phrases we could squeak in. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> okay. So this is legalese language, right? Notice in this language, there's absolutely no mention of crypto or CBDCs. And that's by design. It's subtle. And in fact, you have to read it a few times to even comprehend what the hell it's saying. (laughs) But crypto and CBDCs are exactly what they're talking about here. And the plain language, the, the UCC amendment is really saying that crypto doesn't fall under the definition of money because it existed and operated before the government adopted it as a medium of exchange while at the same time the language is implying that under this definition of money a digital currency that is adopted by the federal government would fall under the ucc's definition of money of course right so in in essence this this would facilitate uniformity among all of these states for the purpose of using cbdc's and in interstate commerce okay right. so um several states have passed these ucc amendments and there's pending legislation and many more states okay what's
1: the key chart we're looking at as far as blue versus green here so
0: the blue is the enacted laws And the green is where it's been introduced, not passed. Okay. And this has clearly doesn't look like it's been updated because Florida passed one. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know that actually that they've um, updated their list, but this is the uniform law commission. The guys who are kind of behind this whole drive to create Mm. uniformity and pass these new amendments uh, to change the definition of money. All right. Lovely. yeah, so, um, but South Dakota, um, Christy Nome, the governor, uh, vetoed these UCC amendments, um, changing the definition of money. And uh, meanwhile, um, in Florida and in Indiana, just last month, um, they both passed UCC amendments specifically blocking central bank digital currencies from the definition of money. Okay, that right. and other states have actually proposed le- legislation specifically blocking CBDCs, but uh, Florida and Indiana were really the first to, to actually get it passed, okay? Yeah. So in this report, um, I really just break down where each state stands on things like the UCC amendments so people can follow them and um, you know are they enabling CBDCs or are they blocking CBDCs you really need to know where your state stands and you can follow the legislation because I've linked each of the pieces of legislation but another area that I focused on was um, affirming gold and silver as legal tender and setting up precious metal depositories we know that Texas Uh, was the first to actually do that Um, but several other states, I'm looking for Texas right now um, several other states have followed suit and I was looking through this um, report before recording and just kind of taking tabs on which states have what, so legislation to affirm gold and silver as legal tender, 13 states have proposed legislation uh, legislation to establish precious metal deposito- depositories, there's legislation in 10 states for that. That include uh, Idaho, Maine, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Nice. And in 15 states, um, there's legislation to block CBDC- CBDCs, including in Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Texas. And this isn't to say that all of this legislation is going to pass. In fact, most of it won't. Okay. Some of these bills have passed, some have failed, some are still pending. Uh, We can't get hung up on just, you know, one particular bill. And if it doesn't pass, then we stop fighting. The point is, and this is an ongoing battle. If one bill fails, we just continue to apply pressure to lawmakers to propose more legislation to protect financial freedom. And I think that this report can really be used as a tool um, to see which pieces of legislation passed, uh, which ones failed, what language did the successful pieces of legislation use so that legislation can be used as a template for other states and another important factor is really looking at those states whether they have a trifecta meaning uh do they have a republican majority in the house in the senate and in the governor's office to weigh the potential for you know if this legislation is going to pass we really need a trifecta to ensure um you know the maximum possibility of it passing um and one more thing I did want to mention on this bigger report that I did uh because um after I put this report out and the subsequent one on the 10 states um something happened in texas so um we're seeing this this dysfunction happening um that that, that's happening out of washington but at the state level as well i mean look at texas for example it's there's this uniparty the house moved to impeach attorney general paxton after he called for the house speaker to step down because this house speaker was apparently Uh, a totally inebriated on the house floor and ken paxton called for his um for him to step down i guess he's following in the footsteps of nancy pelosi this guy but shortly thereafter Mm. the house um, moved to impeach attorney general ken paxton and they did um but the real reason is you know ken paxton's been really effective and going after voter fraud big pharma big tech um so they're just using this impeachment trial uh you know as it's just another sham it's you know so we're seeing uniparty tactics from washington playing out at the state level taking out the biggest players the biggest threats through sham impeachment trials and um that's why i say that this is an ongoing fight and oh yeah Um, Even at the state level. But we, the people, can keep the pressure on um, state legislatures, I think, and we have a greater chance of making meaningful change at the state level because, you know, Washington's completely broken. It's corrupt. Uh, Same elements exist within the states as well, but we just have a better path of rooting those elements out, I think, at the state level than any hope of doing that in Washington. Um, I agree with that
1: uh 100% i've been saying that for a long time we need to focus on the local level
0: yeah and so focusing on the local level um so i wrote another article that's a lot shorter more concise it's really more of a snapshot um this article was to highlight just a handful of these states And this was never really meant to be a comprehensive list. There's good legislation in other states. It's just meant to be a snapshot for people who don't have time to read the longer list. And, um, you know, so in the snapshot, you know, I kind of drilled down into some of the pieces of legislation that have been working through other states. And I picked these states in particularly uh, simply because most of them actually do have a trifecta. So increasing a chance of passing legislation like this. And also they were just, the bills were, had, had further advanced. So it looked like it was possible that some of these pieces of legislation would pass. Um, But for example, I'm not going to go through each one, but I thought I'd highlight maybe a couple, a couple of states. So I really, I really like SB 100 out of Missouri. It's probably my favorite of all of them (laughs) because it actually does everything. So SB 100 out of Missouri um it it's fighting central bank digital currencies while protecting cash, while affirming gold and silver as legal tender and setting up a gold depository. So yeah. like everything in one. Right. Yeah, so this bill states, quote, no public entity shall require payment in the form of any digital currency. And I love that because they're really what they're doing here is protecting cash. It goes on to specifically say payment by means of cash, debit card or credit card shall be considered legal tender and shall be accepted by all public entities. They should say private there, though. That's not not quite good enough. I I wish it also said private entities are required to accept cash. Uh, Payment in gold and silver coinage shall also be considered legal tender and shall be accepted by all public entities. So, And then it goes on to uh, provide tax exemptions on gold and silver as well as instruct the state treasury to invest in gold and silver. So kind of establishing a depository.
1: I don't think they can they can qualify private because, <clears throat> for example, there's some places I go to that won't even take uh, credit cards or debit cards. They only deal in cash, which mm-hmm. is great, in my opinion. Um, you know, so to require a private entity to have to accept credit cards if they only want to deal in cash. Now, well, I, say, I'm going to yeah, um, disagree with you there.
0: I'm going to disagree with you there because there's an, other states that actually have proposed legislation that does specifically say private businesses have to re- to allow cash. Uh, this one uh, HB sixteen thirty three is talking about no agency shall require a citizen uh, to conduct transaction using credit cards or central bank d- digital currency, and shall not prohibit cash. But then it goes on to say businesses providing basic needs. Selling or offering of sale goods or services during regular business hours shall not require a buyer to pay using a credit card nor a central bank digital currency, nor prohibit the use of cash, cashier's check, or money orders. Oh, I
1: agree it shouldn't prohibit the use of cash that I'm saying they shouldn't require that they accept credit or debit
0: cards. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That one was HB 1633 out of Oklahoma. And then I was just going to point out one other uh, state, which is Tennessee, and you and I have talked privately about the awesome things Tennessee has been up to uh, with regards to uh, financial freedom. There are several bills working through Tennessee legislature, and I'm not going to drill down on any of them specifically, but uh, some have already passed, actually, working towards setting up a state depository. They're still working on affirming gold and silver as legal tender. And the whole idea is that these bills are actually going to work in tandem. Uh, the, they're going to. They want to set up a sovereign state bank, and the idea is that the sovereign state bank would shore up local banks and keep them sovereign, right? Um, instead of because what we're seeing is small banks being gobbled up by the big banks, especially right now. With this past year, we've seen that happening a lot. This year, we're going to continue to see more consolidation. And Tennessee is really working towards trying to shore up and keep these small banks in Tennessee alive. And right. the other idea is that a sovereign state bank in conjunction with a pre- precious metal depository is that if things got, you know, really bad, like total economic collapse, implementation of a CBDC system, Tennessee would be prepared and to pivot and break away from that system and conduct commerce with a gold-backed currency if they wanted to. They wouldn't have to go along with a CBD system to survive, whereas other states that didn't prepare would have to go along with this whatever system it is, right? So that is why uh, states should be thinking, what states should be thinking about, you know, how do we survive the worst-case scenario and protect our citizens? And it's up to us as a citizen uh, to imply the, to apply that pressure on the state's legislatures uh, because we just have more influence on the state level than in D.C. Right. 100%. Right. Yeah.
1: The financial, the financial sector to all these agendas and the food industry, two very key things because those are the, the means by which they will try to control everyone. So put pressure on your state reps. So moving on to uh, the wonderful news from the WHO and the EU. On June 5th, they released a, a press release. And the WHO and the European Union, they held a joint press conference in Geneva to announce the launch of a landmark digital health initiative to strengthen global health security. Who didn't see that coming? So basically, we're talking about vaccine ID passports, but it goes way beyond that. Because if you look into the way they worded this, they they left this door wide open. And we know where they're going. It's the whole One Health approach. So they're calling this the WHO Global Digital Health Certification Network and state that this will develop a wide range of digital products to deliver better health for all. And Tedros, who's director general, said that the new digital health products in development aim to help people everywhere receive quality health services quickly and more effectively. So it's clear they're trying to move into this One Health format that's going to also tie in, you know, with their additional uh, digital products, the medical records, vaccine status, um, and Everything else we've talked about show after show after show for
0: right and, now. <laughs> and food aid. Food oh, oh, aid. Oh, yeah, like-
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing is they're using the EU's digital COVID certificate to advance this. And they intend on collaborating with them, allegedly, for their technical expertise. So, So this is hilarious. They're saying, I'm not buying this. They're saying that they have... Already have 80 countries and territories connected to the EU Digital 19 uh, COVID 19 certificate, and allegedly 2.3 billion certificates have been issued. 2. I mean, 3? that's like damn near a third of of the globe here. So, I'm not buying that. You know, what's the best way to market something to convince everyone that everyone else is doing it, so you should do it too? All right um so obviously this this is something that'll play a big role in travel as we've seen in the last few years here what they rolled out and uh but i think they're going to start to extend the definition of travel to include leaving your home driving across town accessing like a bus or train to get to work yeah
0: a hundred percent. That's the idea. That's the yep. whole idea behind the fifteen-minute cities. It's like at first, it's like, look how convenient it is. But then, oh, I know. It slowly Ever. creeps into no. You know, you've, you've left your fifteen-minute zone, and you don't. Your COVID passport doesn't work now. Beep
1: beep beep beep. Siren goes off. Red alert. Cracks <laughs> mm-hmm. me up. They get privacy in this press release three times. Oh, and the irony, they take both of them. So. I sent Edge the links this morning or last night, I don't even remember, and said, hey, we're going to need these for the podcast. And then you go in to open them today and you're like, both of these links are dead. So I, of course, archived the the EU one, sent that to you, and and the other one, the WHO one had already been archived. So I grabbed those. But isn't that interesting that they simultaneously removed them? So what kind of pressure and heat are they getting? so now the press release concludes with this partnership will work to technically develop the who system with a staged approach to cover additional use cases which may include for example the digitization of the international certificate of vaccination or prophylaxis expanding such digital solutions will be essential to deliver better health for citizens across the globe and of course they're pushing for a maximum global uptake and participation. And all of this is kicking off this month.
0: Right. They gotta get it all in place and ready to go for when um uh, before uh they ratify their pandemic treaty um around this time next year.
1: Yep. Exactly. They're on the clock. Exactly, and so and
0: just before the presidential election here in the United States, do you see how that all works out. I know
1: the <laughs> timing impeccable, impeccable. Yeah. And so I pulled up a couple things because while this is going on in the EU, you know, is working with the who on this, we see these other I, I call them pilot programs because essentially everything begins sort of as they want you to believe that you are volunteering that it's an option. And then we see that they just take that data, they exaggerate it, they say, look right. at how great this has been, we're going to make this a permanent thing, and now it's mandatory. Right. And so over on uh, the World Bank site, on June 5th, they had a high-level workshop, uh, which ironically, this is when the uh, this... Other press conference was going on, but high level workshop convenes experts to discuss early assessment findings on one health approach for Central Asia program. And of course, you know, who were the workshop participants? We had reps from uh, the Food and Agriculture Organization, of course, the World Organization for Animal Health, the UN Environment Program, and the World Health Organization, all of whom, by the way, have immunity, <laughs> drives me nuts. I have that whole list memorized edge. So this is basically this workshop on developing the Central Asia One Health Framework for Action. And they reference um, this report from the, who did this report? It was a World Bank analysis, okay? So they say, the report shows that One Health approach is cost-effective for countries and the region. According to a World Bank analysis, annual investments of $1.9 to $3.4 billion in One Health systems based on disease prevalence by the international community can generate a 44 to 71% annual expected rate of return and prevent mild pandemics by half or entirely. We know they make up numbers all the time, so I found this comical, but... This is what they're, you know, the this whole one health approach is protecting food systems, preventing uh, zo- zoonotic diseases and antimicrobial resistance and pandemics. Of course, big mm-hmm. one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so that's what's going on. Um, testing out this whole thing in Asia here, and the World Bank recently gave uh, one billion uh, to. <laughs> They signed a one billion program to support India's health sector for pandemic preparedness and enhanced health service delivery. And I just wanna cover a few bullet points in here because as we know, even though we may not see it here yet, we know this is a global agenda. So I think it's really important to keep our eyes on what is happening in other countries. So the government of India and the World Bank essentially signed uh, two complementary loans of $500 million each to support and enhance India's health sector development. So in addition to the national level interventions, one of the loans will prioritize health service delivery in seven states. These two projects are supporting India's decision to increase the resilience and preparedness of the country's health systems against future pandemics. This will be of great benefit for the populations of the states participating in the project, and will generate positive spillovers for other states on an international level. Eventually, so on the one system, they got five hundred million going to public health systems for pandemic preparedness program, and they prepare India's surveillance system to be ready to detect and report. Epidemics of potential international concern, ensure rapid response and prevent emergence of pathogens. And let's see. So we got, oh, yeah, biosecurity. Enhance India's capacity to detect pathogens, including zoonotic diseases, which I've been sounding the alarm for a long time now, saying that that's going to end up being a false flag push to inform India's biosecurity response and commercialization of new technologies to prevent, detect, or treat infectious disease. Uh, On the next one, we have the 500 million enhanced health service delivery program. This is interesting. One of the areas they're looking to enhance is stronger links between each household and its primary care facility through regular household visits and risk assessment of non-communicable diseases.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So that's going down in India right now. And while we're on the topic of pilot programs, I wanted to mention just a few other ones going on that would have to do with access to shopping. So we've already seen um, the pilot programs rolled out by Amazon. And I can't remember. It was It was either like seven or 13 of their stores. And I know some of them were in Washington. Um, they were doing... It, it was through not Amazon, but through, through Whole Foods. They were doing mm-hmm. the, um, the shopping where it's like all app-driven. And, yep. and you know, you remember that? Yep. Okay. So now over in we've got the Aldi one going on and I believe this was in the UK right
0: yeah it says London well this is in
1: London okay so in London and we can hang on I got like three different windows going up here we can we can roll the yeah you can just roll it while we're gambling but basically what they're doing is they're creating this Aldi shop and go again a pilot program so welcome to a new shopping experience. And you come in and you're blocked and you have to go through these little aisles just to get in. And there's phones there and you have to scan your QR code to get in. And so what they're doing is there's they're alleging that you can shop faster and it's easier without queues. You'll find all your favorite items and yada, yada, yada. So you pre-sign up for this. You have your QR code. And in order to enter the store, you have to scan it. So it's tracking everything. And we know where that's going to lead. When you're a bad boy or girl, you're not allowed in. And so this is a pilot program. And then we've got in Chicago, they, under the, in my opinion, under the guise of um, all of the, Mm -hmm. you know break-ins and um, theft that's been going on in a lot of Walgreens and CVS and other, you know, gosh, we've seen it at Apple stores all over where they're just breaking in. So what they're doing is they're they're calling this uh, testing a new experience at the Walgreens. And we're going to like scroll down through this because I want people to see these pictures. So what they've done is they've locked everything down except for two aisles where you can like shop for snacks while you wait the items you order on a freak at a freaking kiosk and then they have shoppers that go through the go through where everything's locked up to get your products for you and bring them to you who the hell wants to shop like that wow we're uh, having go snacks you have access to that but everything else is locked up mm-hmm. and so they're saying Just just a few points from their spokesman on their actual language. They're saying, we are testing a new experience at the store with new concepts, technologies, and practices to enhance the experiences of our customers and team members. That's hilarious. It continues to offer retail products and pharmacy services just with a new look and feel that focuses on shopping digitally for convenience. Of course, convenience. So inside the store, and this is their words, inside the store, customers will find an area where they can pick up orders, digital kiosks for placing an order, as well as an area to shop for essential items, which I guess is your snack grab and go area. Uh, the, according to Block Club Chicago, they reported that a sign instructs shoppers to place your order and relax, while staff at the store pull requested items off shelves kept away from the public let us do the shopping. The sign reads. Yep. So they're saying the redesign comes after Walgreens Boots Alliance told analysts at the start of this year that the drugstore chain may have overblown concerns about retail theft in 2022 and is pulling back on private security guards. So in my humble opinion, again, it's, it's interesting to see. So this I found very interesting because I think the whole time, at least for me, I'm, I was thinking, okay, you're going to be locked out. You got to have a QR code to get into places. You know, they're going to have um, either security or they're going to have like the stations we saw at Aldi where you, you can't get through until the little lever raises and allows you to go through. Kind of like it looks like, you know, at trains or bus stations. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And then not just that, then they there's cameras that follow you all throughout the store and watch you put stuff in your basket (laughs) and charge your app as you putting right, that's stuff right. in your basket
1: that's right it's total so surveillance pretty yeah. soon there'll be no people manning the store it'll just be robots with guns or something or like laser eyes let me no, see. No, they're already like that the
0: amazon the amazon stores don't even have maybe they'll have one person in it but that's usually that's like crazy. if there's a technical issue or something right 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 or restocking <laughs> or something
1: so then but now what we're seeing here at this one is very interesting because they literally have everything like locked up mm-hmm. except for these two little owls. So it it I like immediately got this image of the cafeterias and vending machines where everything's behind glass and yep. you put your money in and it drops out or you can open the door and are they going to try to start designing stuff like that in the future? It just makes me yeah, wonder.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I know that, like for example, with Walmart, um, more and more people are choosing to use these shoppers that do the shopping for them, and then they just pull up, and the shopper brings the food out and whatnot, right? Right. So I could see how it morphs into that, where you just instead of you know doing your shopping, you go in and you type in on a kiosk what you need and um this you know employee I mean, shopper brings your stuff to you
1: if you're um, gonna take the time to do that wouldn't you rather just do it from the comfort of your home in your pjs i think on that a computer and have it delivered mm-hmm. to your house who the hell yep. wants to stand around uh, it, it's ridiculous <laughs> but but and i but i don't But I don't feel like that's the long game. I think the long game is they will be able to maneuver through the store and access the locked goods themselves upon like a QR scan is what I'm envisioning.
0: Right. Well, I think the long game is more like a chip right? Like it's an (laughs) all-in-one thing, right? You you have your payment system, you have your COVID passport, you have your CBD system, you have everything. You don't even have to have a phone because you know what? Only, you know, poor people don't get to, don't have phones. So we have to make everything fair and equitable. So everybody's got to get chipped like they're freaking cattle in order to access their stuff. And the
1: sending signals that you really want to eat bugs.
0: <laughs> yeah right. i mean that's the long long game I, know. I think we got some time before that but it's it's you're you're, you're good at pointing out Corey the incremental steps there because it's never one big step okay because right. they know the public will push back but it's these tiny little incremental steps that we're taking towards that that we never even notice and it's always sold to us as uh, safety yeah. or convenience?
1: Right, and so people. I know all of our listeners know not to sign up for any of this crap, but it's important to like show this video to to friends. You know, make people aware of this. Show what they're doing at this Walgreens, so that they can go. Gosh, that doesn't sound enjoyable. I don't want to do that. Ah, forget that. Well, what happens if it starts hitting all the stores near you and it becomes mandatory? Now what happens if you don't go along with something they want you to and you can't get access, you know, like dropping those seeds to other people, I think is really important so that, um, this, you know, a level of boycotting and not following along with these things, because essentially they have to pilot these because they have to see what's going to happen to their bottom line. And they're willing to take a hit. They are in order to usher all this crap in. But they're not willing to go completely under. So if if we can keep them below that line, you know, kind of like how they've tried to keep all of us wonderful citizens in poverty all our lives with all their tax bullcrap and whatnot. uh, Let's reverse that those roles.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that company, corporations are trying to walk this fine line between who should I betray? Either my customer base or mm-hmm. BlackRock. And time <laughs> and time again, they keep uh, betraying their customers instead of BlackRock and then seeing the fallout with, you know, boycotts oh, yeah. like Bud Light and Target. Yep. But that's how much weight uh, people like, larry fink who has to now have extra security has uh, because he likes yeah. to force behaviors That's um right. and these corporations are like well how are we going to die off are we going to die off by BlackRock quickly or are we going to die off slowly <laughs> by boycotts from you know betraying our customer base and they've right. chosen the slow death but mm-hmm. um yeah I think that we continue to keep the pressure on, and let oh. um these corporations know who actually is um driving the car. We are the consumers, so That's right yeah
1: absolutely. All right, All right so, so moving on to the oh, most important one that I've been wanting to uh, do for a long time, and, and I thank you for getting this knocked out, because there's sure. a lot of confusion and misinformation out there, and I love the way uh, you broke this down.
0: Thanks, yeah. There is a ton of confusion going on about mRNA vaccines and livestock, And how much has entered the food supply, as well as transmissibility to humans. So we just wanted to be really clear and concise and breaking this subject down. And um, one thing I want to point out to people that we really need to wrap our heads around is the terminology. Terminology. Because um, genetic technologies for veterinary medicine have been going on for years, and most of them don't use the term mRNA vaccine. Uh, Mm -hmm. They use other terms like RNA particle technology, RNA particle platform, DNA vaccines, DNA immunostimulant, prescription platform product. So, um, you know, and obviously... So these terms here um, are are used a lot, and obviously the captured regulatory agencies have not been upfront or transparent uh, to the public about this, um, about how they've been approving these different genetic technologies uh, for years now on livestock, and uh, livestock that particularly that's used for food. Um, So, but I want people to know that when you hear uh, an agency or an organization saying, for example, there are currently no mRNA vaccines on the market for cows, well, okay, but that's not the full truth. The full truth is that there is a genetic technology currently on the market for cows, and has been since 2014. It's a DNA-based, not mRNA-based, and it's classified as an immunostimulant rather than a vaccine. So do you see how they're playing word games here? Because they can't factually say there isn't genetic technology currently on the market for cows, because that would actually be a lie. But they can say there's not one, this one specific part of the genetic technology that we're doing, (laughs) which is mRNA vaccines. You see where I'm going with that? Right. Now, the question really is, you know, um, it how dangerous these things are how tested these things are is has there been testing sufficient testing on transmissibility to humans does it break down in the 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 animal's body does it redistribute in other places does it cause adverse events does it uh, you know last in the food and do humans you know uptake that you know, whatever that genetic technology is when they consume the food, does it cause adverse events to humans? There's so many questions and very, very little clarity uh, by the agencies and organizations who are involved in this and the scientists, frankly, they have zero curiosity on this subject. Hmm. But, but adding to this confusion um, are conflicting statements Such as the statement by this lobbyist representing the Cattlemen's Association in objection to the Missouri bill to require disclosure of all the genetic technologies that have been used on food animals. So he stated in his testimony that he personally Mm. vaccinated his cattle with mRNA vaccines against bovine respiratory disease. And now, so he's either confused, or he's lying, or he's using an experimental, unapproved mRNA shot for his cows. But this has caused a lot of confusion for people, naturally. I I tend to think this guy is not well-informed at all on mRNA livestock vaccines um, on that issue, and he's probably confused. I'm actually willing to bet that. Um, he was referring to bear's zelnate dna immunostimulant which is something they give to cows to prevent uh, bovine respiratory disease Uh, that's my thought that's my theory on why he said that you're welcome to speculate we can only speculate at this point but
1: so, so just for clarity, am I understanding this correctly? That mRNA has not technically been approved yet in livestock.
0: No. However. No, it stock- has. It has. It has. R- RNA. They call it RNA. They don't say the M part. <laughs> okay. They call it so- RNA particle technology. Okay. Okay. It's, it's again it's word games but yes there are currently RNA based vaccines not for cows um there is a RNA based vaccine the, the most commonly the most known one is for pigs Merck's Seqvity RNA particle platform is used for pigs it's approved uh, it has a conditional approval by the USDA. It's on APHIS's most recent veterinary biological products, you know, website. Okay, uh, and, is it, and is it used widely? Do we know? Good question. Good question. We don't know how much this has has been used. How much uh much of this meat has entered the food supply, or any of that? Uh, we have no way of tracking that. Um, but yes, yeah, so I broke down which DNA or RNA based biologics have been approved. So the agency that approves these biological products, these genetic, um, technologies is called APHIS and they're a subgroup of the USDA. Okay. Um, okay. so for, they've approved, um, or given a conditional approval for use on chickens, cows, fish, and pigs, I've outlined here all of the um, approvals and conditional licenses um, and broken it down. Some of them are current or some of them are previous. For example, with chickens, as far back as 2015, the USDA gave a conditional license for their RNA-based avian influenza vaccine for chickens, and they stockpiled 48 million doses of that. And this particle RNA particle platform um, can be updated with the most current avian flu, uh, but they don't currently have licensing. However, there is a, a DNA technology Uh, by AgriLabs for avian flu that does have current conditional licensing. So um, for cows, the only thing that I know of is a DNA immunostimulant. And this is a genetic technology that's not considered to be a vaccine or an antibiotic, Um, but it is currently approved um, by APHIS.
1: And that's for the purpose of fighting against bovine respiratory disease. Let me ask you this. Of all the ones you've researched, are any mandatory or are they just approved for use?
0: Approved for use. And some of them actually approved for use or have conditional licensing or are approved as a platform prescription product. So meaning like. Um, veterinaries can prescribe it for a specific illness they can use this genetic technology that and target a specific virus or bacteria or whatever right. um, based off of that veterinary and you know prescription right okay. um, so yeah um, they have a DNA te- technology for pi- for fish and then they have several um, for pigs, most notably uh RNA particle platform, RNA vaccines, um, which is approved by the USDA and on APHIS's most uh, you know recent list of veterinary biological products. So I have these all listed out. I have the USDA approvals linked. You can go see for yourself. It will provide you tons of clarity on what has been approved Um, what is currently approved and then I get into all of the research because coming down the pike soon are others and they're definitely um, you know working on mRNA vaccines for chickens pigs and cows and the due dates on these are as soon as September, 2023. That one is for chickens and mRNA uh, vaccine for chickens. There's one uh, research study expected to be done by May, 2024. That one's for pigs. And then there's one that they're working on mRNA for vaccines for cows, uh, for bovine respiratory syncytial virus. And that study is complete by 2026. Okay. So. so
1: here's where my brain keeps going. I'm thinking of all the people who say, I'd love to go local. I'd love to go with, you know, um, or a local ranch or farmer. And I've already checked with them and I've already said, Hey, are you putting any hormones or antibiotics or vaccines? You know, what are you giving to your uh, livestock? And, and it's great, only I can't afford it. I have to go to the grocery store. And Uh, unfortunately at the grocery store, I mean, we have meat coming in from other countries. We, we don't know where half Mm -hmm. this crap even comes from, which I know you get into here as far as like labeling and some of the other stuff. Um, I think that's the biggest issue that people are struggling with. You know, we're all struggling with right now. Mm -hmm. How the hell do we, you know, I mean, there's some brands like obviously you could go into a grocery store and you can see a a whole rows of chicken by Purdue. Okay, so you can start researching Purdue and hopefully you get to the bottom of it and you get actual answers. But there's a lot of stuff that's just unmarked.
0: Right, right, and and so when it gets to the labeling, that's a big issue. Um, The labels are not clear at all. Uh, A lot of the times, we are not sure what country it comes of origin. The meat comes from. Um, Even with organic labeling, livestock is is permitted to be vaccinated, and they don't specify with which kind of vaccines. So, um, in theory, even organic labeling doesn't provide us with any clarity or reassurances.
1: Right. Um,
0: So that's a huge concern, and that was the entire reason for these pushes in states um to create more clarity with the labeling so people right. know um and we that... have
1: states putting in legislation on that right trying to
0: yes yes okay. so um and let me see here
1: <laughs> not trying to make you jump ahead but... no that's okay yeah so we
0: have <laughs> legislation and because everybody's heard of missouri the missouri bill hb 1169 that mm-hmm. failed Um, But there's actually fights ongoing in several other states, Arizona, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, to name a few. And so I think that there's actually a lot to learn from the failure of the Missouri bill. And how we need to reword things, um, because here's the thing, is that if you – and this is what they faced as the problem – um with the missouri bill um if you are too broad with Mm -hmm. the language that you use um then you're going to get pushback from producers like the cattlemen's association okay because one way or another Pretty much everything has some sort of genetic manipulation, whether it's um, in the breeding techniques and artificial insemination or whatever. So if you have some sort of broad language that could be interpreted um, the wrong way, you're going to get pushback. Um, and so we have to be very uh, intentional with the language that we use if we want the bills to succeed i think right absolutely and the the other um flip side of that is that if because i've seen other bills like for example in arizona um that are too specific where they're only talking about mrna vaccines for livestock okay and so what we just talked about was the the word game and how mrna MRNA vaccines um, are really kind of a small segment of a larger push for genetic using genetic technologies in livestock and so you may be touching on one aspect while leaving the majority of them uh, of these things to continue without any kind of oversight any kind of clarity or transparency do you know what I'm saying oh yeah so we have to figure out a happy medium um, on the language that we use in legislation for it to be successful but also effective and uh, one other thing that i wanted to mention is that you know a lot of people i think another a lot of the other questions are you know as you kind of touched on how much of this is in the food supply? Is it transmissible to mu- to humans? Is it dangerous? I mean, we don't know a lot of the answers to these questions, but we do know some things. For example, um, this is the test that was done on Sequevity's RNA particle, Merck's uh, RNA particle platform technology for pigs. Okay. And um, so I think they only tested like 750 pigs, Okay. So mm-hmm. 70% of those pigs had no adverse events. What that means is that about 30% wow. did. Okay. With the number two side effect being death. <laughs> okay.
1: Wow. So and anorexia, that's terrible.
0: Yeah. So that's not, that's not a good sign. That is yeah. not a good sign that these things are safe. And, you know, we have every reason to be incredibly skeptical because we've been lied from, to from the very beginning, and continue to be lied to to this day about how dangerous the COVID mRNA shots were. So we have every reason to be skeptical about this. Hundred ha- percent. Yeah. And
1: what what rancher or farmer would want to even put their livestock at risk with this, especially looking at these numbers?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I think that the other thing is, as far we do know, uh, like answering the transmissibility thing, we know it's at least conceivable um, because um, Dr. McCullough has um, talked about this with regards to a Chinese study. What they were doing was intentionally trying to create a COVID uh, gene therapy that would be transmissible to humans via cow's milk and that study was successful they successfully immunized mice with the covid jab using just for by them drinking the cow's milk that had it so um it we know that there are mechanisms that that make it conceivable and possible for it to be transmissible right? right and so there's reason for us to object but um yeah so uh just a couple more things as far as like what we can do about it um i i know it's difficult um to know we, there's so many questions unanswered but the first step is really continuing to stay informed share information get other people's eyes on it continue to follow doctors like dr mercola dr um uh macola Um, You know, there's that that have been speaking out on this. And the other thing is um, pressuring lawmakers, state lawmakers, again, um, to keep the heat on, keep uh, moving forward with legislation to provide clarity on labeling and to ban genetic technologies for livestock until we have further information we there's so many unanswered questions about transmissibility dangers everything right um and
1: provide a lot of additional resources there underneath and we also have links to great sources of um food as well as uh you know beef and uh you have the beef initiative in there plus some other reports so Highly recommend people come in and review all of this, share this information, because there is so much confusion out there on this topic right now.
0: Right. And and another
1: thing is, is the fact that if none of these are mandatory yet we need to keep it that way. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. I think that we, we shouldn't be waiting around for state legislation. We shouldn't be right, waiting around for federal agencies to make change. We need to go directly to producers. Producers need to be the ones that are the most informed on this issue. And they need right. to understand where we stand on this issue. And that right. they are, it's in their best interest, and the best interest of their livestock that they don't use any genetic technologies in their livestock.
1: Hundred percent. So everyone needs to share this with all of your local farmers and uh ranchers and have them help get the word out as well. That's really important.
0: Yep. All right, that's pretty much it.
1: Wowzers. That was a lot of topics.
0: Yeah, I think we uh <laughs> <laughs> we managed to get through a lot today. All right, guys. We did. So Thanks for, sh- for joining us today on Dig it. Please be sure to share this podcast. We're on Bitshoot, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. No longer on YouTube. Please be sure to sh- subscribe to our other platforms, and we'll see you back next time right here on Dig it.